Welcome to Honestly Haunted. Honestly Haunted. We're your hosts, Erin Grogan and Abby Chowning. This week, we're headed to France to visit the most haunted abbey in the country. Not our abbey. A different abbey. <laughs> I don't have or obtain any hauntedness that I'm aware as of. As far as we know. <laughs> Mortimer Abbey in Normandy, along the Fubrock River Valley in the Forêt de Lyon. Lovely French, mademoiselle. Oh, I bet it was not. Well, they're sorry, we're about to butcher the French language. They're sorry. <laughs> so That's not even a French accent. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm crushing it over I, here. I am not. <laughs> the Abbey is a former Cistercian monastery, which is essentially an order of Catholic monks. The name Mortimer comes from Mortum Mare, which means Dead Sea. This is likely due to the swamps and stream that surround it. The abbey was founded in the 12th century when Abbot Alexandra bought his monks to brought his monks to this place to keep them in solitude and peace, away from the world and its distractions. The abbey itself is near a forest and in a valley, making it quiet except for the sounds of nature. King Henry I of England and Duke of Normandy invested in the abbey in 1184, but his investment was not long-lasting as he died only a year later. His death, as a fun aside, is said to have been from a surfeit of lampreys, which basically means he ate too many eels. Which is hilarious. <laughs> so it's just many so eels. weird. Just one day, just killed over. Just so weird. <laughs> but his daughter, Empress Matilda, kept the patronage going to secure the relationship that royalty had to the church. Now, remember her, because she's going to come back into this story later. Construction on the abbey was slow, since it was wholly dependent on donations, but eventually there was a chapter house, two hostel trees, hostel trees, an infirmary, a nave, cloisters, and a church on site. By the 15th century, Mortimer had become the most powerful abbey in Normandy, and was home to hundreds of people. It was so powerful that even the Hundred Years' War didn't affect those that were inside. Inside the abbey is a wash basin named Fountain St. Catherine. This was used by the monks to wash their faces, hands, and feet before eating. But legend had it that if a marriageable girl came in through a hairpin or a coin into the fountain, they would find a husband within a year. Thus, girls would travel here for the fountain, and this continued through the abbey's full life, even to today. The girls throwing in a hairpin would also recite this poem, which is roughly translated from the French, so please forgive us if it's not a very good translation. But essentially, they would be saying something like, Catherine, Catherine, my dear, I should get married. Catherine, Catherine, my dear, won't you listen to me? Catherine, Catherine, my dear, here is my gold pin. I give it to you and I beg you, let me have a handsome rider. Very poetic. Very poetic. <laughs> so beautiful. I'm sure it flows a lot better in the French. French. A <laughs> little bit more eloquent, but... In 1453, after the war, the abbey was now under French rule, and it survived much the same until the 17th century. Unfortunately, in the 17th century, the rule over the abbey was given to politicians who did not live in the abbey. And while it was managed by those on the grounds, it prospered. But managed by those outside it, it began to decline. 
The abbey was built from flint and limestone, and without support, the buildings began to crumble around the monks who lived there. By the end of the 18th century, even small attempts to fix the buildings were found to have come too little too late. In 1789, the French Revolution began, and a distrust of the church and monks became rampant throughout France. It was thought that monks and churches sat on hidden fortunes and treasures that they kept away from the poor and the needy. In 1790, revolutionaries arrived at the abbey. The soldiers hunted down the monks and massacred them. They dragged the monks to the cellar and left a horrifying scene where monks' blood flowed with the spilled wine pouring out among broken barrels. The abbey was sold in 1791 as a national asset, which essentially meant that the new owner sold off anything on the land that could make a profit. Stones to builders, sacred vases to collectors furniture to whoever could buy it. In 1863, the abbey was purchased by a rich man, uh, Monsieur Delarue, and he moved in along with his wife and two children, and they soon learned that they might not actually be the only souls living in the abbey. Things began to happen almost immediately after arriving. The children one evening were walking across the lawns when they saw a light turn on in the old library, the locked library. When talking to their parents, it was confirmed that neither parent had been in that area at all. Latches on windows and handles on doors in the abbey would move and open on their own. Paintings on walls would be turned around to face the wall. I don't even understand the logistics of that one, so it must be ghosts. Must be. (laughs) And if they weren't turned to face the other way, they would be found on the ground, even though their strings or nails holding them in place were perfectly intact. People began to hear footsteps through the empty corridors and muffled voices. Even now, there are some areas where electronics fail without any rhyme or reason. Delarue's son, Charles, was engaged to a young girl who came to stay at the abbey. She was given the pink room. Through the night, she began to be tormented by sounds and objects around her sprung to life. In the morning, when someone came to find her, she was pale, and she held fire tongs that she had been using to fight off the malevolent spirits. She announced that she could never live in a house like that, and she broke her engagement to Charles immediately. She returned to Paris, hoping to never see that house or the likes of what was inside it ever again. Delarue's daughter took that on as a bit of a challenge. She was a brave woman who was a nurse during the First World War and awarded a medal for bravery. She decided to make the pink room her room. She said that while she didn't experience what her brother's fiancé had, she did feel like she was being observed rather often. Occasionally, her coat would unhook itself and lay perfectly on the floor, but she never felt threatened there. The strangest experience she had was one night when she looked out the window and saw a procession of monks gliding away from the home, the ghostly processional of monks from the years before. Despite her bravery, the family as a whole began to suspect that it was more than just the monks who resided in the home as spirits. In 1921, they asked for the house to have an exorcism. It's believed that this was not the first exorcism the home had, but we could not find records of how many and when they may have happened. After this exorcism, the house seemed relatively quiet and the Delarues put the home up for sale. It took 10 years for the abbey to sell, and even the sale didn't stick. 
during this time where the Abbey changed hands, there were still strange stories. During World War II, an English paratrooper had bailed out over the forest and was seen by enemy forces. He told a story about a monk appearing from the forest and leading him to the Abbey for safety before the monk disappeared entirely. In 1965, Monsieur Lerdoux brought bought the abbey, and with the abbey came a farmer, Lucien, who slept in the basement. Lerdoux asked Lucien if he'd like to continue to farm and live there, and Lucien agreed, but asked to be housed somewhere else. He said that in the basement, he had been tormented by the supernatural. From 11pm to 5am, he would hear footsteps and more. He was so terrified by how alive the home was. Lerdoux agreed and got him a nearby cottage instead. Now, earlier we said to remember Empress Matilda, and the reason for that is that one of the remaining lures and sightings at the Abbey today is actually her. It is said that on nights lit by the moon, people can see her figure slip through the arches and down to the pools. Mist rises above them. But people also warn, if you see this, look away. Matilda's ghost can tell the future. If you see her figure and she's wearing black gloves, you will suffer a great misfortune. If she's wearing white gloves, then something happy will occur in the year to come. But if you see her twice, you're condemned to an untimely death. Another tale about the abbey comes from 1884. A man from the village was poaching in the forest near the abbey, and his name was Roger Sabru. And in the forest, he came across a terrible creature. It was a yellow-eyed garrosh, otherwise known as a female werewolf. He shot the creature with his rifle, and it fell dead immediately. But when it lay on the ground, it turned back into its human form, and it was none other than Roger's wife. Well, that itself is not a tale associated with the house itself. It is the only known sighting of a garage in Normandy, and it happened so closely to the home that the tales had become intertwined. Finally, it's also said that today a goblin guards a secret buried treasure at the abbey. Yes. It's disguised as a cat. Yes. <laughs> goblin cat. <laughs> it's disguised as a cat and it walks around the grounds. And it's said that if you encounter this goblin and you're able to stay awake until it falls fully asleep, the treasure will appear to you. Which, like, if this is a cat, <laughs> then it... it I like, like my chances. <laughs> yeah, cats are notorious for sleeping. That being said, maybe it's a light sleeper. <laughs> it's actually a goblin, who knows? If, if it's actually a goblin, it's a cat that doesn't sleep. <laughs> Fascinating, though. But today, the Abbey is cared for by Jacqueline Carpenter Caffeine, and she has embraced all the haunted pasts of this home. She runs ghost walks in September and has invited several French ghost hunters to the area. They have also helped to financially help restore the Abbey. So, a lot going on at this abbey. Yes! <laughs> Indeed. There are, uh, you know, there's the dark history of what happened to the monks, but then, yeah. of course, there's random creatures. You know, that's honestly as familiar as I am with the French Revolution. I would not have thought that monks were among like kind of almost treated like the aristocracy and they just went after them too. Well, yeah. I mean, France basically became like a not, I mean, France was a highly Catholic, Catholic country state, yeah. that then became very non-religious. So, so basically during that revolution, yeah, it was, I mean, they were seen 
just as poorly. And and it's interesting. I think that goblin tale definitely is intertwined with that because yes. it's like this goblin is hiding a treasure. There's this idea that monks and, and priests and the, and the church were hiding treasures from those in mm-hmm. need. So I think that creature story, like, that definitely makes sense yes, that those does. were tied together in that way. Like, yeah, interesting. So that I think that speaks a little bit probably to some of the lore that was created based on, I mean, like, obviously we've got a, like a historically accurate yeah, like legacy of what happened there. And it's just interesting to see how, like how the local legends kind of trickle have, have down. changed through time. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised our countess, uh, our ghostly countess isn't wearing a specific color though. Right. Well, <laughs> I was her, waiting gloves, for it. her gloves are a specific color That's depending. true. We just don't call her a white or blue or green true. or gray lady. Which is, <laughs> which is unique <laughs> for our lady ghosts. Um, but her story is also really interesting because Empress Matilda did not die there. Like, mm. and it's also said that she, like, it's also up for debate as to whether or not she even lived there. So yes, she continued that patronage. And there is some stories about like, she was sent there by her father at some point when she was basically kind of like a miss behaving type of thing like you're sent there to to the abbey (laughs) but what i was reading made a really good point in that it was like you're gonna send a teenage girl who's misbehaving to live with a bunch of single men like that'll fix her wagon yes they're monks but still like maybe (laughs) i'm curious about the specific order of monks like if there's sturgeon monks yeah, yeah if there's something specific about that type of monk that would be I, I mean, I don't think so. It seems like different orders of nuns and monks sometimes are responsible for different things based on, like, the order that they belong to. So I'm curious about Cistercian monks. I'm not as familiar. No, I mean... I don't necessarily think that the orders have to do with what they do, though. In this case or in general? In general. Oh, okay. I, I'm not Catholic, so I, I just assume that sometimes, like... Like, Our Lady of Grace or whatever, like, they are, I, I don't know, like, all the different... Well, so, I think what it is, more than, like, certain orders, because orders can, orders can be, like, uh, very large, and they yeah. can exist in different places, so, like, um, like, I, like, Franciscan monks are a thing that exists in multiple places, and, like, it's... I, it's not necessarily that, like, that order of monks do a specific thing. It's mm-hmm. that usually, like, an abbey or, like, a collection of monks or nuns, like, yeah. one particular place does a thing. So Got it's it. not necessarily... So, like, there could be Franciscan monks that do one thing somewhere. But it's not but because of their name. It's just because yes. of... Yeah. That yeah. Um... So, but, but that, and then that's also, like, debated. Like, people don't necessarily even know if she was sent there or if she spent no time there at all. So it's interesting that people say she's haunting it because if she didn't spend time there or didn't spend significant time there, why would her ghost be there? Yeah. And, um, which is, which is super interesting and also makes me wonder if, like, maybe it's not her that people are seeing, but that's kind of like the famous woman. So that's how they tied it. Her name stands out. So therefore it must be her. (laughs) Although like, 
if I, if you see that twice appear, you see it the first time you see black gloves and you're like, oh no, this Bad is a terrible luck. fate. <laughs> and then you see her again and you're like, oh, white gloves, something good's going to happen right before I die and because then I just this is the second time. Twice. I know. What does it mean if you see both gloves? Does it wait. Mean, like, wait a minute. <laughs> something. You're going to suffer, <laughs> but, but you're going to be happy, happy about, about it. it. <laughs> I'm glad we both went <laughs> safe time. <laughs> But I'm a little hung up on the name of the abbey itself, Mortimer, Mortimer, Dead Sea. Sea. What's that about? Is it on the coast? Normandy is. Yeah. I mean, there. So there. There's a forest and a river, and it's in a valley. So it's like it's surrounded by a lot of nature (laughs) of different sorts. It seems odd. (laughs) There's lots of nature around it. Why would you call it the Dead Sea? That's true. I don't really know. Um, I mean, this is complete speculation. I have no idea at all. But like, when did the Dead Sea Scrolls become a thing? (laughs) Like, that I know that has religious. Yeah, I mean the Dead Sea Scroll. I mean. They, they were found in the last century. But they were, like, they known were, about, right? Well, it depends. Like, <coughs> there's some of, like, the, the ones that were found in Qumran, where that's, like, in the last... That's, like, right near the Dead Sea mm-hmm. that they found. And th- that was, like, a few books, I believe, uh, a few chapters. No, it was I, the Book of Isaiah in its entirety. Mm. But that was found in the last, like, 50 years. But I'm, yeah. I'm curious. I mean, it's it was complete speculation, but I'm just, like, I wonder if that place had already had some sort of significance or something in, yeah, in I mean, this the dead sea in is takes heart like takes place in the middle of the biblical story so yeah I mean, it's, it's definitely there's a relevance i'm sure to the catholic church but i'm i'm curious at the heart of of the name why they would choose to name it that yeah yeah i and and i don't know i i have not been able to find it truth be told um a lot of what it becomes difficult when we start to do stories that are in different countries that speak different languages because some of the research and resources that we use for those are not in English. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have to rely on either things that have been translated or a really rough type of translation that, that we can get from some sort of way. And so, like, a lot of what I was reading for this place also was clearly not a very direct or good translation. Um, so I I didn't come across anything about the the reason why they got that name. Unless maybe because you said it's surrounded by swamps. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I mean like swamps are by no means dead. Like they're pretty vibrant ecosystems. But True. they can they're not necessarily welcoming to humans, so if they're in they, they of... could have viewed it in a way as like dead it's not like a yeah, drinkable now that I think about it like they made it they, the monks were sent there so they could be in, in seclusion yes. right like yes. that nobody would be tempted to come right. harass or bother them so that they could live life basically without distractions yeah. so they could do their work so maybe that's part of it it was like a a ploy to kind of ward off those who might try to come yeah visit. which i mean is is kind of ironic because as it became more and more powerful more people who were not monks began to live there too so it's kind of ironic that it started that way is becoming this like secluded area but then became like so powerful yeah. that it really held a lot of sway and important people likely passed through there constantly yeah. so um it is a little bit ironic that they were like 
we are seeking this out for peace and seclusion and a simple life. And then they're like, and we are the most powerful. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the same time, yes. <laughs> very, very powerful. And then there's the whole, um, the the hairpin basin of good luck. Yes. Which, <laughs> which is a whole other thing because it's like, I wonder why, I mean, obviously they're talking to a saint, so it's not necessarily because the monks used it, but it's interesting that it's like this place where there were monks and men, and then these girls are going to find their husband. Yeah, I mean, my guess is that it was like open for mass, I guess, at some point. And yes. And that they would come in. Well, and, and people did start, so... So basically, the area around it also began to house people that weren't monks because it became kind of this like self-sufficient type yeah. of of like oh, honestly almost kind of like a town. I would say like uh -huh. that's probably not the right wording, but like it became a very prevalent place in the community. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, it was a community. Yeah, yeah, you would imagine that the churches of or like if they were going to be hosting yes. mass or, or... So people would yeah. go there. It was a yeah. place to go, especially for religious reasons, but then also for this fountain. And there's fun little, like, things like that across, like, the, like what is it, the, um... Blarney Stone. Yeah. supposed to bring you love yes. in Ireland. Well, no, it, it doesn't bring you love. Luck. It, it, brings, it brings you the ability to speak loquaciously. Oh, okay. I was yes. mistaken then. But I know that there are things like that of, like, if you touch the rock or, th like, those things are, like, kind of scattered throughout, like, local yeah. legend. Uh, if you put oh, a... Oh, yeah. Um, tossing a penny into a fountain. Like, things kind of like that, I yeah, think. Yeah, like, little little things like that. There's, I mean, there's, there's tons of statues in certain places, too, where it's like, oh, if you, like, you see, like, one part of the statue is, like, kind of gold because people rub, rub it, it or something. Isn't that in uh, Verona, Juliet, statue of the boob? <laughs> oh, yes! It's completely yes. rubbed off. Because if you touch it, it's supposed to bring you love or good luck or something, but... So that's, like, a very common thing yeah. for, for places to have. Um, now... What's interesting about that is is also that that continued even after a massacre yeah, <laughs> in that place. And it literally falling apart and yes. becoming dilapidated. Yeah. I, uh... Yeah, rough, rough goings there for those, those well, monks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because so many of the haunting stories don't necessarily scream what happened there. That's what I was thinking. Like, there's all these little legends and pieces, and there is the, the daughter seeing the procession of monks, so that does mm -hmm. tie in. But then it's like, the family got the house exercised, which, like, makes it seem like there was more malevolent things there. And the, the potential daughter-in-law had a horrible night had in her horrible, room. Had a horrible, yeah. Like, had literally, like, literally physically was fighting fight with a off. fire stick. Like. <laughs> fight off potential or malevolent spirits is what she said. But but yeah, so there's some things that aren't quite, like, matching. It almost doesn't add up totally. Yeah, because it... Unless there's just some reason, like, spirits are selective with who they're choosing to torment... Yeah. And I, I mean, we don't have enough information to know about, like, if 
<laughs> right. If the potential daughter-in-law was not a good fit and they were like, get her out. <laughs> True. Like, is it monks being protective? Is there an evil monk spirit? Are there demons? Because of the bloodshed was something unleashed. Unleashed. Yeah. That the monks might not be the ones that are necessarily haunting it. Yeah. Or, or what if the monk spirits are still there because of something else? Possibly. Hmm. It's also, I mean, telling, I think that the empress, uh, her ghost has such a, an immediate like bad effect too. Yeah. There, there are just like a couple of like sinister underlying things. Like, you read about it and you're kind of like, oh, a lot of this is kind of lighthearted. Oh, you see this glove, it mm-hmm. does that. You see that, there's a goblin cat. <laughs> goblin cat, yeah. But, but underneath, there's kind of this level of like, but something is a little off. Yeah. Well, I think that could probably bring us to our verdict. I'm going to say, honestly, honestly not haunted. haunted. Oh. It's been a while it since has. we've disagreed, hasn't it? I think so. Yeah. I who do we say goes first if we... If you said the one who, I, who says haunted okay. goes first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... It's season two. We've gotten a little rusty. It's true. <laughs> the The reason that I said haunted is not necessarily because I'm, like, super gung-ho about this place being, like, very haunted. I think it's because of the unknown with it. The question mark that, that we were just talking about, about how there's something almost a little sinister there, something's not quite adding up... It makes me feel like there's something a little evil there. Mm-hmm. And and like not extreme. Like we've talked about some like dark mm-hmm. things and places. And I'm not I don't necessarily think it's that, but I just I don't know. There's just something that makes me anticipate that if I was there, I would like feel something. And I know that yeah. is not a very strong reasoning to hey, say that. No judgment. For but it me. just seems like I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the tie-in to Catholicism and like that's bringing up all the demon stuff for me. <laughs> yeah. But I guess I guess that's kind of where and it's not like a strong haunted. It's, yeah. It's it's a loose one. I would again fully prepared to that if we visit this place, I'd be completely open and totally willing to change my mind if if I feel yes. something different. But I guess for this one I just felt not haunted because there's not kind of a even it's a hard line to follow through all the lore for yeah, me. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot going on. I just felt a little jumps. zigzaggy, which I mean we've we've dealt with situations even more odd and, and crazy, but for me it sounds like it's a super old site, right? And, yeah. And yes there has been some historical violence that took place there, but other than that, it's kind of just lived this quiet existence off in the middle of nature and woods. And I, uh, nature and the woods, not nature and woods. But it just and maybe, kind of, yeah. Maybe that's also why I leaned a little bit the other way. Because I picture this like quiet place in the middle of nature and I, and, and something kind of living there. I can see that. And at the same time, though, I can think of people in the local villages that's surrounding it hearing strange noises Absolutely. in the woods and it growing. And we've yes. talked about how legend can grow and that like stories can become haunted just because they exist and circulate. So totally, totally still agree with that. But And I uh, agree with you too. Yeah. So yeah. So I think we're, we're kind of on the same page with this one, but both looking at fence. it from on the fence. So on the fence for sure, this one. But we still love to go and check out France in general. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with more Honestly Haunted. Au revoir. A tout à l'heure. 
Thank you, as always, for listening to Honestly Haunted. Please follow us on social media at Honestly Haunted and consider becoming a Patreon supporter to help us continue to grow. If you haven't already, leave us a five-star review. We'll be back with more Honestly Haunted. Little monster.